Hello there. I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. This is season two of Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within the intersections that exist in fat liberation. In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer and more welcoming place for those living in larger bodies and those historically marginalized who should be centered, listened to, and supported. Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps, so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-host and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or depth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse. We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode. Welcome to episode two of season two of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. In today's episode, the first interview of the season, we interviewed the incredible and generous human being, Lindley Ashline, she, her, about her embodiment journey. Lindley Ashline creates photographs that celebrate the unique beauty of bodies that fall outside conventional, quote, beauty, unquote, standards. She fights weight stigma by giving fat people a safe place to explore how their bodies look on camera and by increasing the representation of fat bodies in photography, advertising, fine art, and the world at large. Lindley is also the creator of Body Liberation Stock, which is body positive stock images for commercial use, and the Body Love Shop, which is a curated resource for body friendly products and artwork. Find Lindley's work and her free weekly body liberation guide at bit.ly slash body liberation guide. Lindley can be found online and on social media at bodyliberationphotos.com, on Instagram at body liberation with Lindley on Facebook at Body Liberation Photos, and on Twitter at Lindley Ashline. Thank you so much for being here, listening, and holding space with us, dear listeners. And now for today's episode. Hello! It's our first interview of the season. And what a way to start with the incredible Lindley Ashline, she, her, joining us from the Pacific Northwest, someone whose perspectives and visual and written mediums move and inspire us constantly. There's so much clarity to sit with, and we cannot wait to begin. Yay! So let's start. How are you doing today? I'm good. I am uh, speaking from just outside Seattle, Washington, where it is characteristically gray and chilly. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm jonesing for some sun a little bit. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. We've just finally gotten some. Yeah. There's still, I have my shades closed, but we finally just gotten some. It's been very gloomy here for like three days. It's pretty unusual. It has. It's very strange, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm very glad you're doing so well in the darker, uh, darker weather today. <laughs> 
I love it. I love it. <laughs> As we uh, embark on a conversation and are present in our bodies together today, I'd love to start with asking a centering question about the themes of our podcast and how they occur to you, Lindley. Can you share with us what embodiment means to you? And what has your embodiment journey been like, if you would like to share? Yeah, I love this question because, of course, embodiment is going to mean something a little bit different for everybody. And when I hear that term, I often think of yoga or something physical or or, or a little bit <laughs> metaphysical or woo. But for me, um, embodiment has meant treating my body as a partner. Um, because as someone who uh, who grew up in sort of a, a pretty normative white, um, just sort of average size child body, um, I wasn't fat until I hit puberty. Uh, and when I say the word fat, uh, I'm using it as a neutral descriptor for bodies. Um, that's not an insult or being self-deprecating. Um, it's just like saying that I currently have pink hair or that I'm wearing a gray shirt. Um, it's just a descriptor. So, so I was not in a fat body until I hit puberty. And so, uh, so suddenly I was subject to a lot of social disapproval. Um, and as someone who then existed in a body that is quite marginalized for its body size, and also a body that doesn't, that isn't always what we might think of as healthy um, or neurotypical, um, it is, it's so easy when you live in a body that is that you don't see represented and that you don't see respected to think of your body as uh, as something that you just have to drag along with you <laughs> or that you don't feel like you feel it's a hindrance to the rest of you your mind and your spirit and your heart as opposed to being equal to those other things and so so for me embodiment has become the practice of treating my body like a partner in, in this team as opposed to, as opposed to something that just drags me down. Um, because I would not, you know, if I don't think of my body as a partner, um, I am less likely to take care of that body. And, and by taking care, I don't mean eating broccoli. Although for the record, <laughs> I, I adore broccoli, but, I love broccoli. But, yeah. but I don't mean <laughs> yeah. eating broccoli. I don't mean eating kale. Um, I, you know, I mean, taking care of it by doing radical self-care, um, going to the doctor when I need to, um, getting, getting, uh, right now I'm in physical therapy for something that has popped up as I hit middle age. (laughs) And so it's, it's taking care of it the way that it needs to be cared for in the same way that I would care for a child or a friend, Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't tell my best friend, oh, you know, if you, I don't know, say my best friend is depressed. I wouldn't be like, oh, you're the worst. I would be like, how can I support you? Can I, you know, do you need somebody to go with you to, to the doctor's office to talk about meds? Do you need uh, reminders that somebody cares about you? What, what do you need to be supported? And treating my body as a partner means treating it the same way. Um, you know, if even, even my cat, <laughs> if my cat starts going outside the litter box, I don't go, oh, you're a disgusting creature who just wants to be bad. I say, I'm going to take you to the vet because something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so so be, it being a partner, it is serving me to the best of its ability. It wants to keep me alive and functioning. It wants to do its best for me. 
but in return, I have to help it out and give it what it needs. So, so for me, embodiment has really become that, that practice of making choices to treat it as a partner, um, which also involves being aware of it, listening to what it needs, listening to what it's telling me, um, because uh, again, particularly when you're in a marginalized body, it's so easy to ignore that because you don't think it should be saying those things. Mm. That wow. is, that, that answer is really sitting with me already because I, I love the idea of treating your body as a partner. I, when you hear all these things, I, I'm thinking about this because as we're recording, it's December, uh, 2021, which means all the new year, new you bullshit is about to pop up. And we don't talk when you hear all those things coming up, you don't hear about like, take care of yourself. It's like beat your body into submission or train yourself up and slam down and all these bullshit things that get thrown at you. But if I'm thinking of my body as a partner, if I'm thinking all three of us are partnered in some, you know, we're all partnered, but if I think about my husband, I don't think about how I need to train him or I need to whatever to him, it's caring for him. And he cares for me. He's not trying to, I like that there's no change involved in the way that you described it. Okay. Our bodies change, obviously Um, middle age happens. All the things can happen to your bodies or whatever, but there's no intentional, like carving it is the word that keeps coming to mind into a specific thing. That's really helpful. I really like that. Yeah. And, and change is such an interesting word here too, because mm-hmm. it is possible that by treating my body like a partner, I do need to change something that I'm doing mm-hmm. to support it. Um, yeah. Say um, I, I, in particular, I am not diabetic, but say that I was diagnosed with diabetes. Um, I might need to change some of the input that I'm giving my body. And that might mean, that might mean giving it a different medication. It might mean giving it different, uh, a different type of food, a different, different time of day. It might mean adding in some foods. Um, but, but again, it is coming from that place of support rather than punishment or, mm-hmm. or submission to an ideal outside myself or, or, you know, some desire to make it, uh, to make it more compliant with beauty standards or, or with quote health unquote standards. Um, it's, Again, it's about going, how can I support you to do your best as opposed to, oh, you're so bad. You don't even function right. I guess I have to do this to, to you know, make you happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was busy thinking, wow, 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 in my head. <laughs> and um, I circled something. I was just listening to you, Lindley, and to you, Siobhan, um, and just really sitting with something. First of all, that partnership is a practice. That's Mm -hmm. such a valuable thing to be connected with. And to think of our bodies as our partner, not even more than non-dualism, right? Like our brain is our body and our body is our brain. It's all one thing. But to think of it as something that needs attention, something that needs... And when you were talking about radical self-care, Lindley, I was really thinking of how self-care is often said as the thing to do. And it really is just the basics of caring for a human body. Self-care is the basics. What I was mm-hmm. hearing from you is what helps you thrive, what helps you um, move and be and sit in the ways in which you would like to be and are, right? Like really like connecting with yourself. And as a person with diabetes, I was so moved by what you said that when we, the partnership is not severed. It's enhanced by understanding of our body, but that's not how it feels in the beginning. 
I can say that for sure. It does not feel like that at the beginning, even with all my knowledge as a dietitian, it does not feel that way. Um, even thinking like, oh, inclusion is where it's at. Lab values tell you what to include, not what to take away from yourself. When you talked about submitting to an ideal outside of ourselves, um, I'm really connecting that with being embodied with my diabetes and with my body itself. Um, that it is something that, that never, I am privileged enough and body privilege and also health-wise and other things that I never really had to consider an ideal outside of myself, not truly. Um, about my body, like such a big thing like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so just sitting in a space of partnership and you said choice and practice um, that it's really centering me right now in this conversation around the choices that I have. Cause sometimes it feels like a vacuum. And I think a lot of people can really, it feels like a vacuum of choices being gone, but mm -hmm. actually in that partnership and that intention, that connection and awareness that you mentioned, I can hear that it's actually enhances the partnership. We just might need some space or some time or some adjustment in some way for the partnership to be new as we might feel new. It was, that was pretty moving from both of you. So thank you both for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we, when we talk about, yeah, that, that partnership being new um, and, and it being a, a, you know, a practice is, is a series of choices and we're not always going to make, you know, there, there's so much um, what diet culture and mainstream pop culture want us to think is that if we really care about our bodies, then we will always make perfect choices. Um, in my mm. perfect choices, diet culture also wants us to think that those are the choices that will make us in the smallest possible body and, and, and the most compliant with beauty standards too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so putting that aside, um, it, you know, we're not always going to make choices that are, uh, that live up to even our own ideals, <laughs> nonetheless, you know, pop culture and, and diet culture. Yeah. Um, and, and of course we don't have to, because every time we make a choice, it's okay if that choice is serving us in a different way. Um, mm. say, uh, you know, coming back to the, the diabetes example, um, I like talking about diabetes because it's so important that we stop uh, attaching too much shame to it. So yes. I like, I like talking about that, but, but say, um, say if I were diabetic and, I knew that in general, I wanted to keep my numbers low, um, my, my blood glucose numbers not low, but I choose to have a sugary dessert one night. Um, and maybe I have it without, without ideally pairing it with protein or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that is serving me in a different way in that moment. And that is a valid choice that I'm making um, yes. because it was delicious and I wanted it and it served an emotional need. And then next time I might make a different choice. So, so I, I want to be very clear when I'm talking about these, the, this practice and these choices that I'm not talking about once you really care about your body, you'll start <laughs> making the right choices. You know, mm. it's not, that's not what it's about. It's not, it's not loving your body into perfection <laughs> at all. It's, it's mm. just recognizing that every, every choice is a choice. Um, and that, that whatever choice you're making, you're probably doing the best you can with whatever you've got at that moment. And your choices, your choices may be different than somebody else's would be in the same position. And that's okay. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And we even might have the same, or I'm sorry, different choices than we would have had as a former version of ourselves also. Yes. And that that's wow. also okay. I was hearing that space in what you were saying. Um, if I was to summarize for myself what you were saying, like really like sit in what you were saying, um, I was hearing that embodiment is also about learning and transformation. It's not just about stagnation or anything feeling just static in general, that it's immovable. Like we're not just, this is my embodiment. Here are all the descriptions. Now I'm embodied, right? It's not so mechanical like that. There's context that's really important. I was hearing in what you said, which was just was just really lovely. Um, I'm newly diagnosed with ADHD in this calendar year, um, as well as the diabetes. These are my new pandemic experiences. Um, and something that I've come to realize about my interaction with the world as a human being is I need context. Mm -hmm. Um, actually we all do. I don't think that's just a neurodivergent thing, but it's really made me connect with that and really notice when I don't have it or what I need. Um, and in terms of embodiment, sometimes that may have me realize that I am, oh, wow, I'm just really not that embodied in this particular way or about this topic. Cause I never had the context and to also not rush myself into the process of feeling embodied about it feels really Mm -hmm. important. And I was also hearing that kind of in the undercurrent of what you're saying, there's not just one way and there's not just one pace. There is so many ways to be um, that those things like perfectionism, which are inherent in those cultures you were talking about. I also thought of purity culture when you were talking Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. Um, sort of a fundamentalist way of saying this is how we are and that there is no change from that, that embodiment, not necessarily the opposite. It could even include moments of that actually. Um, But just sitting in a space of embodiment can be flexible and can match our rhythm is I think what I'm really getting from that. It's really just sitting with me. Yeah. Absolutely. I have so many questions and so many notes. Like I am, I just need to fangirl for a second. Yeah. So um, Ooh, please do. So we listen to, in general, we listen to podcast episodes of our interviews before we meet. And so I've been like, as I told my husband, balls deep in Lindley Ashline for like two weeks because you are <laughs> prolific when it comes. That's so inappropriate. I'm sorry. Oh, um, I totally got exactly what you meant. <laughs> non-stop Lindley Ashline for the last two weeks. Um, and I'm excited. trying not to scream with laughter. Just, that's why, that's why there's silence right now. Whereas I can't help myself. So inappropriate. I feel like, I feel like I need to put that on my testimonials page. All steep and Lindley Ashline. Um, so I was excited because I knew there was, because I listened to you like nonstop, it feels like. And so I was like, I'm excited to see what new things I'm going to le- learn from you. Um, so I just had to say that that was my fangirling and I'll be fangirling more as we go through. I use balls all the time. <laughs> like it's cold as balls. It's hot as balls, balls yeah. deep. Yeah. Like there's so many balls Balls to the wall, whatever balls to the wall, yeah. all the balls. Yeah. Not a ball in sight, but <laughs> so many balls. <laughs> it's still very like experiential what you're describing. I got exactly what you meant. <laughs> Sweating my balls off. Like it's yeah. just so many things. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. <laughs> but what was coming to, we'll, we're going to talk about this a little more, but one thing that was really coming up in what you said about we make choices that serve us in the moment, that has been really important, I think, in the last uh, two years of the pandemic. And that, and we're going to talk a little more about this in a few minutes, um, but like what served us two years ago doesn't serve us now. And I think 
that's embodiment. Like being able to say this choice served me last night, might not today, but it served me in the moment last night. So I really appreciate your bringing that, bringing that uh, point to the forefront. I really like that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, talking about the last two years, um, as, as we record this, I'm preparing to reopen my calendar for the first time in, in two years wow. for client photography sessions. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a fantastic time for me to think what served me two years ago in working with clients. Does that still serve me? Mm-hmm. Um, both from a, um, both from a pure like business process standpoint and, and, and thinking of all the things that I want to revamp, like I want to, you know, redo my client guides and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, but also um, I'm physically a little different than mm-hmm. I was two years ago and making sure that I build in the self-care and the space that I need during sessions. Um, I'm struggling with a little bit of back pain right now because middle age. So, so um, when I plan a session, I need to either take my folding stool or make sure that I'm going to have, you know, a chair so I can sit down if I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, just so making those choices as well, you know, and, and thinking what serves me, what serves me today, what's going to serve mm-hmm. me in six months and making sure that I build that into my life and into my processes. And also going to the freaking physical therapist and doing my freaking exercises so yeah. I can not have back pain. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm, absolutely. You know, which, which is a process, a, a set of choices that I'm making right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't always make the choice to do those exercises. But then my body says, you made that choice. Right. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. It's a conversation I've been having with my oldest son. Like, this is not a punishment, but this is what a consequence is. It's, you didn't do anything wrong, but this is what the consequences are exactly. of blank. <laughs> and then maybe that's just where you are. It's not a bad thing. Mm. It's not a, we're not judging, but here's a consequence. And you just have to decide it's harm reduction. Is it mm. worth it to do blank knowing that blank will be the result? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, and it's okay for us to make those choices. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I'm, I had a migraine the other day and I was like, I'm not getting down on the floor and getting out my, <laughs> getting out my physical therapy stretch stretch and making my hamstrings unhappy when I have a headache. And, and, and so the consequence of that was that I hurt more the next day. And that was okay because I made that choice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rather mm-hmm. than feeling rather than feeling guilty about, oh no, I'm so bad. I didn't do my exercises and now I hurt. And it's because I'm a bad person because we do, we internalize those things as judgments of ourselves because we have that perfection. Uh, and, and like Jen was saying, you know, purity culture and diet culture and, and, and um, authoritarian power and privilege structures, they all say that we need to meet these impossible standards. And that mm-hmm. if we don't, it's because we're bad or our bodies are bad or our brains are bad. For those of us who are neurodivergent, you know, our brains are bad. And none of those things are true. We're just, we're all part of the spectrum of humanity. And we cannot, by definition, you know, be bad people just for having a human body with needs or a brain with needs. You know, it's just, it's just as valid as, you know, my needs are just as valid as, as Jen's or Siobhan's or you, the listener, or, I don't know, the president or, <laughs> you know, or, or a supermodel, mm-hmm. like none of those, none of our bodies are more valid in their existence than in the other. Thank you for Absolutely. coming to my TED talk. <laughs> I love it. I love wow. It. <laughs> Not only is our body compared to other people's bodies, any less or more valid, 
our body compared to past bodies or future bodies is also not any more or less valid. That's what I, yeah. I'm just really like that. I have chills. I've got like some palpitations or something going on. Like it actually really cooled me off with some chills. Like I don't actually feel sweaty in this moment, even though I know I'm very much am, um, that in, in a, uh, there is a, a harshness with which I am happy to admit that I treat myself in my brain, in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm very kind afterwards. Right. But I like getting ahead of those unkind comments is hard because they happen so fast in my brain. It's Mm -hmm. so, so fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a fast neurodivergent brain. It's too fast for me (laughs) to keep up with. In fact, um, I say phrases like, okay, bringing my brain online. What I mean is like, I'm going to have control of this thing now. Like I'm actually going to steer this, the ship that is me versus just going with every impulse or whim. Mm -hmm. Um, and really I actually wrote down the potential of the intentional as you were talking that I could hear that letting bodies and ourselves as whole people being who we are, has the potential for intention to be throughout. When I hear choice, I hear intention. When I hear practice, I hear intention. Um, It's a different thing for intention to equal the impact that we want. And in that space between is being a person. Like what choice did I make last night? How can it not take away from today? How can I just make choices today also? Like sitting in that kind of space. Um, You use uh, the word earlier, Lindley, uh, expectation. And I was really thinking about that in terms of embodiment and just having a body that we get really attached to our expectations. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to create new space. Siobhan and I just had a conversation this morning. (laughs) Just sometimes we need to create new space so that the potential can be back in the intention is I think Mm -hmm. what I'm like, there's, it's okay to readjust with yourself. It's okay to check in. It's okay to practice can sound like a dirty word that it's not okay to practice that we should already be a master. And these other, I find that word so stigmatizing that they're like, that we might be, um, like the champion. I mean, any of these kind of words like I have arrived kind of feeling or expression of language that the word practice is really about it being in process. Like it's still happening. We're still human beings who are alive. So it's still happening. Mm -hmm. Feels just really important in there. Yeah. And this concept of practice, um, this is so interesting to me because when we think of practice, we often think of getting better by some standard, whether that is a standard we have set for ourselves or a standard, uh, like a competitive standard, we, you know, you mm. think of athletes as practicing, you think of, um, you think of yoga as a practice. Um, but often that like to take yoga, that practice might mean, uh, practicing so that you can get more flexible mm. so that you can get stronger so that you can, so that you can improve in some way. And often those improvements are is the fact that it's an improvement is is a, a standard that has been set mm. if that makes sense so yes. if I decide to start lifting weights and I want to become stronger obviously that means I can pick up heavier weights you know that is an objective you can measure that um but when I'm talking about embodiment as a practice I think what I'm really the aspect of practicing that I'm really talking about is becoming more coherent with yourself Mm. um, as a standard, as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe to be more in line with your own values um, and your own something. So when I, um, 
let's go back to the physical therapy for my mm. back that I'm doing right now. When I am practicing um, getting down and doing my stretches every night, that's a practice in that my body will gradually change as I do that. Um, and, and the goal, even though there are other changes, I am becoming, you know, slightly more flexible because I'm stretching my hamstrings. Um, and, and the, the, of course there is a measurable goal there. The goal is not to have back pain. Um, mm. but that is, that is a goal that I have set that is, makes me more coherent with my own values. And of course, like many people, one of my values is not being in pain, <laughs> but, but, but if I'm making a choice that, uh, again, I make the choice one day not to do those stretches. Um, I'm still, that is still part of that practice because maybe, maybe my values are also include being gentle with myself. Mm. Maybe my values also include respecting when other parts of my body or my brain are saying, we need to make a different choice today. So, so embodiment as a practice is about becoming more ourselves as opposed to, again, meeting some standard that is outside ourselves. When um, I am also autistic and, and that is something that I have really been coming to terms with over the last couple of years. And so when I make a practice of, um, if I get overwhelmed from a sensory standpoint, of destimulating. And for me, that meant me going into a quiet, dark room and playing a phone game for 10 minutes. Um, by external standards, the standards of the world, that might that might look like a poor choice because I'm goofing off. I'm not being productive. I'm whatever, you know, dinking around on my phone instead of working. Um, but for me, it's a practice of being in line with my values, which include not being overwhelmed and cranky. <laughs> And so, mm -hmm. so when we talk about this practice of embodiment, I want to be really, really careful about what I mean by practice and, and, and choices, because we think, oh, you know, make better choices, but, but it's, it's really about the choices that are in line with both what we need in that moment and what we, what puts us in line with our values long-term. Mm -hmm. um, I might be, uh, I might be at some kind of social gathering and I've gotten overwhelmed and I might choose to remain in that overwhelm because it is important to my long-term values to accomplish something at that gathering. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe yeah. I'm speaking or maybe, maybe there's somebody I really want to meet and I, and I am choosing to make a different choice in that moment mm. um, because it is in line with my long-term values. And that is also a valid choice. And so is going home. <laughs> mm. Mm. Ooh, that's really, really sitting really in a good way, heavily, but in a good way. I really, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure I have words yet for how I feel. I like felt that in my body. Yeah. Just said. Same. Mm -hmm. The idea mm. of embodiment as a practice is meeting your values and not comparing them to the societal norms, the moral norms, the whatever norms that mm -hmm. is true embodiment like that. Wow. That's really, wow. Yeah, and, and I want to, I also want to be clear that, you know, beauty standards and purity standards and financial standards and, uh, you know, uh, body size standards and, ability standards, um, all of these, <laughs> you know, I, I, I once dated a guy who was like, I don't like it when you wear makeup, like, 
I can't even, I can't even tell when, when women are making, wearing makeup, so you don't need to wear it. And, um, and, and I grew up in a culture, you know, in, in the American South where you wore makeup to go to the grocery store. <laughs> and so what was actually happening was this dude, this dude was seeing women wearing full faces of makeup every day of his life. And he thought that was their actual skin. No, um, no. no. Bless his heart. Bless your heart. Yeah, I'm from <laughs> yeah. Texas. Bless, yeah, I grew up in Texas. Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, 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 bless your heart. So bless at any rate, um, um, as far as he was concerned, he was the type of person who would have who would have been like, well, I don't care about I don't care about apparent standards. You know, just ignore them. Just ignore them. And of course, there's there's also you know there's a very gendered aspect to that too, and 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 a racial aspect. This was you know a white man talking to a white woman, so so the dynamics are different than they might have been otherwise, but. <laughs> but but these standards do affect our lives um and it's important to know that there are it's also really easy to say well just be true to yourself just be in line with yourself and don't care what anybody else says but the thing is that if what is comfortable for me to wear is yoga pants and a sweatshirt and I wear that to the office there are going to be professional ramifications of that my fat body, even if I love my fat body and I, and I, you know, honor it, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to fit in an airplane seat. And so, so, you know, if I present in certain ways or I act in certain ways, um, you know, if I, if I'm at some kind of professional gathering and I announce that I'm overwhelmed and I'm going home, there may be professional ramifications for that or social ramifications. Mm -hmm. So, so, I, you know, when we talk about the practice of being embodied, some of the choices that we are going to be making are survival choices that are not necessarily in tune with what feels good to us or is in line with our values in that moment. And that is also okay. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm making the choice to put on a full face of makeup, even though I don't particularly want to, because I'm doing some kind of event or I have to go into an office or whatever, um, that is a survival choice for me. And that is also equally valid. Mm. Totally agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Because we don't need to be setting up more standards. (laughs) You know, I don't want to be true to yourself to to become yet another impossible standard. We don't need any more of those. That feels like toxic positivity to me. It's like, just, you know, just think positively through it or just love yourself. And I'm like, I can't love myself into an airplane seat. Like that's not how this works. Like my hips are not going to love themselves to not be comfortable in an airplane seat. So it feels very like that toxic positivity thing that's everywhere, unfortunately. Mm. There's something here. Let me see if I can find words for what my brain is doing. Yes, I can. Let me look back. I, I, I can't. Um, there, um, when you were talking about radical self-care, when you first started um, answering this question, um, how can I support you to your body? What do you need to be supported, body? What I'm really getting is that that's like an embodied inquiry. Like, hey, check it in. What's going on? What do you need now? Uh, our plan, uh, how I might think of that is sometimes to make myself feel comfortable about the things that my brain has fast forwarded about. I create a plan like this is what I'll do and embodied inquiry for me about that. And kind of sitting in that space might be, do I agree with the plan I made with myself yesterday? 
or earlier in the year or whatever. And how do I feel today about it? Do I need an adjustment? Like it's not a very uh, long-winded inquiry. It's just, you know, what do I need? Um, Or to ask myself newly, do I need to just throw this whole thing out and ask, like really just get present with something else? Um, I was hearing that in what you said. I actually hadn't really Mm -hmm. considered that about embodiment. And I really, uh, I'm glad to be considering it now. I almost I almost poo-pooed all over myself. I had to stop my inner dialogue. Anyway, so (laughs) sitting sitting in a space of um, it's okay to be how I am today, like with that intentional potential. I like that too. The the potential, Mm -hmm. the intention, and also intentional potential that there's this sort of, um, it's kind of like, this all or nothing, like talking about black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, there actually isn't a nothing for the human body. There's actually only something. Also for the human mind, there's something. There is no blankness there. That's not really um, something that exists there. So to think about like, what is the something that I need in that inquiry, like the support, the what are my specific needs just feels, yeah, like a lot of value. Mm. This is an incredible exploration in this answer Mm -hmm. and in this conversation, um, because this is like something that I really want to think about. Siobhan and I will talk a lot about like, this is going to be a journal entry. It just Um, became one. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What is embodied Um, inquiry? Like, how can I, yeah, I love that. That's great. I also Mm -hmm. love, um, shared embodiment, shared conversation, like the three of us are having to Mm -hmm. also notice something in real time, like how it feels in my body, how it feels when you say it, how it feels for me to reflect it, how it feels for Siobhan to reflect it, that we're just kind of sitting in this space. I'm feeling a lot in this space. I actually don't think I have words for almost everything that I'm experiencing right now, but those are, that's what I do have words for, (laughs) which is a great thing. That's a great Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. It's sitting really nicely. I think it's a good transition into the next question, um, which I kind of touched on, but I think if we could talk a little bit further, that would be awesome. As a human being, how has being in this pandemic affected your embodiment practices? What lights you up and when are you feeling most embodied? Um, You know, as someone who has been very privileged, um, for me, uh, from a sensory standpoint, it was very difficult in my corporate career to work in offices. Um, there's always, uh, the lighting's weird. There's lots of noise, lots of you know, voices. Um, uh, I was always freezing <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, even with noise canceling headphones, couldn't block out the noise enough to concentrate. And so, um, I worked very hard in, in my corporate career to be able to, uh, work remotely. And, um, and then in my, in my small business career that I have now, um, I'm also able to do that. And so I have been able to set up my home and my workspace that in a way that are um, very supportive of my embodiment. And, and the, um, the pandemic has been, you know, at this point it's been almost two years. And uh, I will say that for me, being at home and having everything on Zoom has been fantastic. Like that's, mm. that is my jam. <laughs> um, I don't have to drive an hour across the city and find parking and walk in the rain to see my doctor. I can, unless I actually need to be there in person for something, I can just talk to her on Zoom. It's it's incredible. Um, my therapist moved to Mexico and I didn't know. <laughs> so so I, I've never met her in person. Um, and and wow. one day her one day her um, her surroundings changed, and I just assumed she'd moved to another room in her house. <laughs> no, it turned out she'd moved out of the country. 
So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's been incredible because I can, um, I can be in my surroundings that are very physically comfortable for me. Um, but I think, I think it's been really cool for my own embodiment and other people's to watch everyone around me, um, metaphorically, um, everyone I know grapple with, uh, especially in this period of slow return to offices and things to watch people grapple with their, like what supports them. Um, and it forces me to think even more about what supports myself because some things I resonate with and some things I don't. And, and to watch some people really need the physical energy of working outside the home and having, you know, and having other people around them. That's how they get some of their physical energy mm-hmm. is, is having you know, other people around them. And then some people who have discovered that they really, you know, that they would rather stay home. And of course, many, many people who don't have the choice, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, who have, who have been making choices all along about trying to protect themselves in a world where they're forced to be outside the home so that they can eat. Um, but we, we've had so many questions come up about, bodies and and the risks of of taking certain actions with in certain bodies and and you know having these conversations and seeing them take place has been really really interesting and really um it's encouraging to watch people making choices about their bodies that resonate with them that they might not have made in the past um and uh you know and then personally I, I feel like realizing that I'm autistic and and uh, exploring, you know, I've mentioned here in Seattle, it's very dark and exploring uh, what makes me feel better in these dark days and, and what feels good from a sensory standpoint. I think uh, particularly the slowdown during the first part of the pandemic with the uh, with the lockdowns and things gave me a lot of space to explore those things. And so I've discovered that um, my pandemic copy has been collecting houseplants, and uh, <laughs> and it's been it's been a great joy. And uh, and I have I don't know eighty or hundred houseplants now. I've stopped counting. And, what? <laughs> and so um, so my house, but it, but it's wonderful mm-hmm. because my house is full of green things, and I've discovered that it is very embodying for me. Uh, not only to have full spectrum lights around, because here in Seattle, you can't grow tropical mm-hmm. plants indoors without supplemental light. You just can't. <laughs> and so I have all these full spectrum lights around and it makes me feel better in the winter. But also mm-hmm. I can get my hands into dirt anytime. I can touch fresh green things anytime. Um, I can harass my cat anytime. And uh, and all these things, these sensory experiences, touching things, experiencing these things, has connected me to my body in, in a really surprising, uh, intensity. Mm. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Th- there's something happening so far in this conversation where I feel something so strongly in my body and I'm very aware of the sensations, but not necessarily of words. It's a very interesting mm-hmm. experience. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. experience as you were talking and as I was just like imagining being surrounded by all of these plants, touching dirt whenever you want, like surrounding Mm -hmm. yourself with what you need. um, 
I think that what's happening is something that doesn't normally happen. My brain is like summarizing and that's unusual for me. I'm usually the other side of like, please summarize for me. (laughs) There's something really beautiful in the way that this is integrating as you're sharing. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard in what you said, like, what is spaciousness to me? Mm -hmm. Um, A question I never asked myself before the pandemic. Never. Mm -hmm. Um, and I haven't even quite used that language with myself yet, but I'd like to. And what I was hearing and what, like, so I hear full spectrum light is spaciousness, house plants, um, being able to snuggle with an animal that gives you oxytocin and mm-hmm. whatever kind of love connection you have that, um, that those are all spacious things and not just things to do, right? Even if you're not doing anything with them in that moment, I can hear the spaciousness in what you're saying, mm-hmm. like their presence is spacious for you. Um, and I think that's uh, really beautiful and really important. I was also thinking of people going back to work. Um, if they have to take public transportation, if their bodies, if it's made for their bodies, right. Mm-hmm. If it, if it's comfortable or not coming back in contact with those kinds of conversation is, is probably going to feel really abrupt. I don't have to do that. I'm going to be sitting at home. And I was also sitting, having that conversation and like kind of thinking that through, um, like, what does it feel like when spaciousness is gone? How can we cope in that time? Um, how do we return to that? Do we want to return to that? Do we have to return to that? You know, really talking about like putting food on the table. What if that is going back to public transportation and a shared Mm -hmm. office? Like what can, what space can be found there? Cause I really get that it may not feel spacious, but what space might be there. Mm -hmm. I'll feel really important. I'm just kind of sitting with that. That's funny. I talked about summarizing and then I said all that. <laughs> well, but I, I think, I think what you're, the heart of what you're driving at is really balancing, balancing embodiment with survival mm-hmm. and simple. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's really easy. You know, I, I always, I always talk every single time I try, I try to talk about privilege because, you know, it's very easy for me to sit here in my nice little warm home office in my nice house that is also my photo studio. So I don't even have to leave to have clients, mm-hmm. you know, come mm-hmm. in. Um, you know, I, I don't have to leave the house and put myself at risk just to to survive. And, you know, and I, I'm always very, try to be very clear about the privilege of that because it's really easy for me to say, make the choices that are coherent to you in the moment. Um uh, you know, and and again, I talked earlier about not wanting to set that up as yet another standard for people to meet. But but it's really easy for me to sit here and talk about that when, you know, I'm not the one who's having to balance. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't feel safe um, physically or mentally going to an office where people are breathing on me. Um, but I need to pay my mortgage this month, or I don't feel safe going to my fast food job or my factory job or whatever. Because again, it's important to remember that not everybody is in a white collar office worker. But, uh, but that that's always in, in a capitalist society, like the one that we have, that is always going to be one of, one of the central conflicts of embodiment versus survival. And, and, you know, it may feel, um, and I think, I think this also comes back to health at every size and intuitive eating as well. Um, you know, from an intuitive eating standpoint, maybe my body wants the salad, but I'm not able to get fresh produce, you know, maybe mm. my body, maybe my body wants a delicious chocolate cake and, and I can't afford it or, or whatever. There are so many mm. factors, but maybe my body would really rather prefer to be in my nice warm bed, having a wonderful sensory experience with a soft blanket, but 
I got to get up and feed my kids. I got to get up and I got to get up and go to work. And maybe that's a really unpleasant part of embodiment. And, you know, and, and I'm going to be really honest. I don't think I'm the right person to advise on strategies for that because I had the privilege and the luck and the hard work to arrange my life so that I didn't have to make as many of those choices. Absolutely. So I don't, you know, I don't know that I really have a lot of advice there other than just be aware that that is a central conflict and it's still okay to make whatever decisions you need to make to get through Mm -hmm. the day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. Mm. Honestly, if I was to put words to what I'm feeling, I'm like, wow, this one sentence that you've just said, I would love to be an entire podcast episode. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, I think, seriously. this constant mm-hmm. feeling that I'm sitting with, which is an incredible feeling. Lindley, I was going to ask, because you both you and Jen have had this experience. I was a fat kid. Like I was a fat, tiny kid. I was wondering, and th- I feel like this is too long of a question, so it doesn't need to be a thing right now, but like what you think... If you, how you think it might have affected you to have that bodily transition during puberty when we're already super impressionable and like all the hormones are doing all of the things versus kids who mm. were fat at a young age versus adults who came into it versus, you know, I just, mm. I'm just wondering, I feel like that's an entire long, long conversation, mm. but I was just, it's been sitting in my head since you mentioned Lindley. But I'm like, this feels like an hour-long conversation, but it's also really, like, interesting. To yeah. So, yeah. I think yeah. it's a really important nuance to consider yeah. that even not all experiences of being fat, becoming mm-hmm. fat, uh, sitting in fatness, uh, transitions, anything like that, there's no two experiences that are the same. I love your question. Yeah, no, that I think that's a fantastic question. And I can I can only speak for myself here, of course, but... I honestly think that, you know, honestly, it was a huge advantage and privilege not to be a fat child. Um, My best friend growing up was a very, very fat child. And I saw the way that she was treated. And, you know, and of course I was, I was steeped in diet culture myself. So, you know, I, I had that same vaguely pitying attitude towards her that I saw everybody else have. Um, and, but the thing is that we were, we were besties. We more or less, we lived near, near each other. We ate more or less the same foods. We had about the same amount of physical activity and I was an average size kid and she was very, very fat. Um, and the thing is that, um, she was put on diets from a very young age. I was not, she was constantly treated poorly for her size. I was not. And so I did not spend those formative years constantly feeling bad about myself. I could get up, I could go outside and get on my bike and ride around. We lived out in the country um, without people staring or mocking me or, or, you know, lecturing my parents about me or, or giving me condescending advice at seven years old. Um, and, and her experience was totally different, even though, you know, our lives were very similar. And so I think not being a fat person until later um, saved me from a lot of those, uh, I call them fish hooks in, in, sorry, it's kind of a gross analogy, but they're like fish hooks in your skin um, Mm -hmm. of these, these things that you're taught about your body and other people's bodies. I didn't get that until later. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also, I also had a very unusual experience that, um, that I think, 
you know, it's just unusual for, for this day and age. I grew up without a TV. And I mean, we physically had a TV in the living room, but we grew up without, I grew up without cable, which in that time and place was essentially not having TV. And we had like PBS and then whatever the, whatever the local channel is where people get on at 3am and do their own little shows, (laughs) but that was it. And so, (laughs) so I was also not absorbing. Um, I was also a very isolated child. I didn't have a lot of friends and I didn't, I didn't have access to like magazines or pop culture really. So Hmm. I was not absorbing those messages. And so when my body suddenly looked like every other woman in my family, um, you know, we all have uh, large breasts and big childbirthing hips and blonde hair. We're Germanic peasants. That's our heritage. And you can tell, you know, um, and very pale skin. We all look alike, except for my one poor aunt who married in. <laughs> so it looks completely different. Um, but on my mother's side, we all look alike. And, and so it's very clear where the genetics, my, my, my grandmother on my other side was also fat. So like I got it from both sides, but it's very clear that that genetic heritage, like the second I hit puberty, it just took effect. And, and again, I was very sheltered from a lot of these diet culture influences, but I still started to get those messages that my body was unruly. My body was bad. And even though I was still a pretty active child, I started getting lectures on exercise. You know, even Mm -hmm. though my habits hadn't changed, um, Mm -hmm. except for, Uh, You know, when it as in our society, when you hit puberty and you start becoming a young woman, um, the messages change very drastically about what it's acceptable for you to do. You know, you don't run around and play hide and seek anymore because that's childish. Mm -hmm. And so so a lot of that kind of physical activity, like running around and playing, I stopped doing because it it, I I got the message that that wasn't appropriate. Mm. But I was still quite active. And so my habits, my level of activity hadn't really changed. It's just that all of a sudden I was fatter. Um, and when I talk about being a fat teenager, um, it's a really strange thing because there are lots of fat folks in the American South and uh, it was a little easier to find clothing there. Um, but even at, um, I'm gonna name clothing sizes right quick. If that is um, if that is something that you'd rather not hear listening to this, skip the next 10 seconds. Um, but, but I was, uh, in high school, I was a size and so I was not, I was actually just over average size. <laughs> I was not actually really fat, um, but I was treated as if I was. And I look back at my prom photos now and I'm like, I was not particularly large. And yet um, one, one of the years that I went to the prom, my mother made my prom dress because there were simply no dresses in that size. Mm. This was, this was pre-internet shopping. Um, and, and the next year we managed to find one store, a County over that had a few things in my size. And and that was my prom dress the next year. So, so I was not actually all that large. And now that I look back on it, I think where on earth did fat adults, where were they finding clothing? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. literally what were they putting on their bodies? And Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, but, but there just weren't the resources. And, And again, there wasn't online shopping. So if you couldn't find it at Dillard's, you were out of luck. But, but I think that that experience then too is very different from people who become fat as adults. Mm -hmm. And I, and this is just based on my anecdotal impressions of being on the internet, but I think the folks who become fat as adults have the hardest time with 
Mm, not internalized fat phobia because we all have that to some extent. Yeah. But I think they have the hardest time with um, having a lot of feelings about losing the privileges of thinness. You know, when I was, when I was an average-sized child, I wasn't, I wasn't flying in airplanes. I wasn't working. (laughs) I wasn't doing all these things that, that adults do where the privileges of fitness are very apparent. (laughs) Um, And so in my adolescent and adult life, I've always dealt with that. But someone who doesn't become a fat person until they're say in their forties, they have a lot of years of thin privilege to Mm -hmm. look back on and, and be angry at losing. And so, so I think all those experiences are very, very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I hadn't even thought of, yeah. So I asked this question because it's just was sitting with me as we were sitting here and I, it, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what I was going to say. It's just really interesting to think of. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I definitely have had that experience of, of which like I've been really grateful that I was fat before I got pregnant because there's so much pressure to lose the baby weight and like snap back and blah, 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 blah. But I was like, I, I was, I was fat before this started. Like, I'm not, I don't know what I'm snapping back to. And if anything, I lose weight when I'm pregnant. So that's not like, cause my kids ruin my insides. <laughs> they just like jump on my stomach for like nine months straight and I can't eat anything. Um, so it was, so I was lucky in having that experience. I just was wondering how it felt to have been yeah. To have had that experience in puberty. I, I was a fat kid and looking back at my pictures, I'm like, no, I, whatever. Um, but I was also a really tall kid. So I am a 5'10". So I've been tall and I've been tall forever. Like I've had the same length of legs and at, at like 10 and like a torso that was like an inch long. And then I grew an inch until I was 20. So um, I think... I think what I heard highlighted, so I am a person who became fat as an adult. I'm finding this conversation incredibly interesting. Yeah. Um, I never had to find words for things like cognitive dissonance, thin privilege, um, uh, consider my relationship with the word fat or fatness until I was an adult. Mm. Um, and I started adulthood very steeped in diet culture. The second weight came on, I was figuring out how to take it off. Right. It was like this immediate knee jerk reaction because that's the, the, what I had internalized is what was all around me. Um, and sort of sitting in this space and thinking about that has always felt like a privilege, but it has, uh, maybe not, but, but, and it has always felt like, um, it's hard to, it, it, I don't feel this way in this present moment, but I'm relating a little bit to a former version of myself who was still like had some toes in diet culture and was really convinced that I didn't, um, that I would not give myself the same benefit of the doubt as I would for someone who had been fat from a younger age, fat their entire life. Like I should know better. Like I've had a lot of privilege in this situation. Um, even though I was experiencing that sucking sound of those things being taken away. Like the first time I didn't fit in a plane seat, for example, was a really visceral experience. Um, And then being diagnosed with diabetes this year, I was like, oh, so the first thoughts can become, and again, content warning, trigger warning for like my internal dialogue when first being diagnosed with diabetes, that it was like, oh, look how you got yourself here. If we were to track your adulthood, it's the classic picture of what they say in weight stigmatizing research centered around thin male bodies who are of, who are middle class, who have time to go do studies and research, right? It takes time and a lot of privilege mm-hmm. to do that. 
just sitting in a space of, I'm just going to point this all at myself because that's already Mm -hmm. what I'd been doing, even though I'd been unlearning. Mm -hmm. Um, so some, like I was just sitting here, like really sitting in the newness of how it's feeling to be embodied as my fat self. As you were saying, I look like people in my family. This is just how we look. This is like, I'm just finally in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, something that I'm considering and thinking about as we're having this very embodied conversation and I'm really feeling things in my body is I wish there had been more than just ideals in my family. You're talking about standards. And whenever I think of standards and norms, I go straight to thinking about ideals because that's how they begin. What's the supreme of this? What's the ideal of this? And then it sort of becomes in the noise of normal, but it's still very, very high up there. Um, elevated. I was just sitting in, oh, I wish I could have had a different conversation. Like this is how we are in this family and welcome, you know, like those kinds Uh of conversations versus, um, here's how I've been mistreating my body for the last however many years. Would you like to be invited into mistreating our bodies? Which is like the conversation that was actually happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm sort of sitting in that I'm realizing I have some grief work to do. That's something I'm sitting with. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm also sitting with um, a place in which it felt like I was between things, but I never really let myself learn or experience or sit in either place. Like I was just uh, telling myself that I was in between. Mm -hmm. I think part of this is I didn't really get that I was neurodivergent before. I'm like, why don't I understand Mm -hmm. what they're talking about? What's going Mm -hmm. on? Why am I the loud one? Why am I the fast one? I just sound like me. What's going on? Like just, it's always felt rather in between. Things that aren't privileged feel very in between. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, um, I am, I have a lot of journal entries that I'm thinking, but like, I love something that reminds me to write to an inner child or like, I'm Mm. just considering now, like, what if I wrote to myself in my twenties? I'm almost out of my thirties. What if I wrote to myself five years ago before I'd ever heard the word diet culture? Like, what if I was to actually like consider those versions of me and not just a child who didn't even experience those things. I'm just sort of getting clarity and some distinctions around that. So really appreciating and like super into this part of the conversation. Great question. Thanks. I don't actually have an answer. I just think of when I was most like everything felt like an upheaval every second of every minute of my life. It was puberty, right? Like, cause that's just at that age, that's what everyone's going through. Your hormones are, are everywhere. Your body is doing things. You don't know what the heck they're doing. I just wonder, I wondered what your experience Lindley was coming into that. You know, when, when it's a typical thing for everyone to be having an experience when life is just like, what? And then also having your body change in a, in a way that leads to, to marginalization. Yeah. yeah and, and, and something that came up, Jen, as you were talking about becoming, you know, a larger party body person as an adult, you know, I don't want to speak for your experience. So, you know, feel free to let me know that like, yeah, that doesn't resonate at all. But I think when we talk about losing privileges, that's one aspect of becoming a fat, a person who lives in a fat body. But another aspect is the way we think about and treat people in fat bodies, the way we think about those bodies is a reflection of the person inside them. And, uh, and again, quick trigger warning, I'm going to list, I'm going to be listing a couple of things, skip the next 10 seconds. If you don't want to hear some negative things. I love that you put this in. Yeah. Yeah. when, When we think about fat bodies, we think about fat, fat people as being slobbish, lazy, disgusting, sweaty, gross, 
red-faced, lazy, um, unambitious, unintelligent. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> but you, you, there are more. You, I, you, you know what they are. You, so many. But, uh, mm-hmm. but the point is that we think of fat people as bad people in a lot of different ways. And so, so some of the fear that we have, um, that, that particularly people in thinner bodies have of becoming fat is of becoming a bad person. And so if you mm-hmm. become fat mm-hmm. as an adult and you have not examined this within yourself, um, you're becoming a bad person. And, and not only are you becoming, and, and again, I'm not saying that this is true, but this is the way that, that we are taught to think about it. Not only are you becoming a bad person, um, the evidence of your badness is becoming visible upon your body. And now everybody else knows how bad you are. And now you're going to be treated the way you've treated people who are bad, who are in bad bodies. That's terrifying. I mean, it's also totally untrue. All of this is, is, you know, uh, a a capitalist racist uh, mythology that has been built up over time to keep certain people in power and make a crap ton of profit. None of this is true. This is all mythology. This is these are these are mm. stories that, that we tell ourselves around the campfire to to justify the way that we treat fat, fat people. Um, and it, and this is reinforced in every aspect of our lives. And breaking out of that framework is really scary too. <laughs> um, but but that means that becoming fat as an adult is even more terrifying because now you know you know how fat people are treated. Mm. Oh, and so not only are you mm. now going to be subject to that, but it is because the evidence of your sins have been made clear in your flesh. And yes, I am using religious mm. language because this absolutely ties back into religion and religious purity as well. Absolutely. Uh, there is yes. an author named Alan Levinovitz. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. We can put it in the show notes who has written quite a bit about yeah. religion and food. And it's fascinating. Um, when, and when I talk about diet culture being a racist construction, um, there is a book called Fearing the Black Body by Dr. Sabrina Strings. That is mm-hmm. absolute core reading. If you want to understand why diet culture is racist. Uh, because this is a relatively mm. new concept for me. Um, and, and I know for a lot of, of folks who are listening, it'll be like, what, how are diets racist? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but that is, uh, if you don't have time to read a whole book, seek out some of Dr. String's talks. Um, there, there, there's probably some things on YouTube mm-hmm. uh, talking about this, but it is absolutely sure. the origin of diet culture and fat phobia is absolutely mm-hmm. rooted in racism. So, mm-hmm. so, so when we, when we talk about becoming fat or, or fat bodies, um, there's so much tied into our personal worth. And so, so again, Jen, you can tell me whether the, this was resonant with you or not, but, but I think becoming a fat person and not only losing those privileges, but maybe even feeling like you've been exposed as a bad person. Mm. Mm. First of all, every single word of that resonated. Um, I'm a dietitian. At first I was thinking like, so I'm a person, but I'm also a dietitian. And in my profession, our bodies are supposed to be our business cards. It's never, mm. it's the subtext. It's never said out loud. Um, speaking of racist professions and oppressive structures, right? That was my um, educational standard. And 
um, I did not want to be visible at the beginning. I actually felt very comfortable. I'm like, my body's in charge of this. My body's doing something. This feels okay. That part felt all right. It was the visibility piece. Um, and mm. something I say, real, I, I say it on social media. I say it intentionally to myself and to clients. Our bodies actually are not our business cards. Um, it is, uh, also, um, the shame that I have felt as an adult, actually, like what I was really resonating with and what you're saying, like, yes, I have to deal with all of these things in our society that don't allow space for me at a time when I'm trying to learn how to take up as much space as possible, literally, metaphorically, everything. Yeah. But really the shame I felt for how I talked to clients in larger bodies before I became fat. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that in my program, the way that we treated each other about each other's bodies and what we subjected ourselves to was really disordered and problematic. Um, and I mean, that's shifting. I mean, I've been very open with people that I went to school with or other dietitians that I'm close with. And I'm like, listen, we should not have done that already. Like what, how we're talking to people, like even, you know, Lindley, I love something that you do in conversation and thinking about language as you're always making distinctions in language. You've had some great analogies and distinctions already in this conversation so far. And I'm just sitting with like, even that we are not fat, we have fat, we are not fingernails, we have fingernails, which took, Mm -hmm. that was one of the hardest things for me to unlearn because the logic part of my brain is like, but it does make sense logically. (laughs) Um, But I wasn't seeing the what that allows. Mm -hmm. I wasn't seeing what it makes space for and room for and to let people get away with who are doing considerable amounts of harm and marginalizing and oppressing. Um, And allowing myself to be in process and allowing myself to make mistakes actually very much feels linked to a pandemic sort of period of time. There is space in my life to learn from my own mistakes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can make space for myself, for other people learning from their mistakes. And also like that it doesn't ever have to stop. Cause I really did think there was a stop before. Like mm-hmm. I say it now, like it's casual. Like I've always known that, but I did not. So it really, really resonated. And I can't wait to listen back to that actually, because it felt like mm. with each sentence that you said, and I was like, there's something in there for me was this feeling I was getting while you were talking. And I just can't wait to explore it. You know, we do this podcast for ourselves too. I listen to this podcast, just yes. like we make this podcast. Mm-hmm. I love listening to it. It's, it's the conversation I want to be having because of moments like this, where I'm realizing there is so much unpacking left to do about yeah. a very specific topic topic. And also I can't wait hard, mm-hmm. necessary, hard, scary, necessary. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling really emotional as we're talking about it. And I didn't understand why that was coming up until you just said that, Jen. So thanks. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of grief work in, like I said, I've been fat most of my life, but also treating clients like, well, I, I obviously I'm fat because of something I did wrong. You must be wrong too. And like all the harm that I've done without even realizing that I was doing Mm. it doing it to myself at the same time I was doing it to clients. It feels really painful to think of because I love the people that I've worked with, but um, it's diet mm. culture. Like I don't, I don't, and I, and I don't think there's any, I was asking this question, not that there's a hierarchy of like, it would be great if you were fat this time versus this time. I think there's grief associated with whenever this became a part of your identities. So I think there's just some 
grief work overall that is coming up for me. Yeah, and, and a really important resource mm. for that, that body grieving uh, is Brianna Campos mm-hmm. at Body yes. Image with Brie on Instagram uh, and who mm-hmm. has a whole body griever mm-hmm. series because we do, we do have grief to work through. And that might be the grief of being put on diets as a child because that is not only yeah. traumatic, it's also malnourishment. You're being malnourished. Yeah. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. grief. Uh, you know, I had to work through a, a little bit of grief over um, getting diet books for Christmas once I hit puberty, <laughs> you know, and that was, and yeah. that was my parents mm-hmm. trying to protect me in a world that was going to mistreat me. Um, the intent right. and does not equal the impact there, but you know, it was kindly meant. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have grief over accepting our bodies that our bodies are, are, mm-hmm. unless you were in the, the 0.2% are never going to look like a supermodels. It doesn't, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how many, you know, that you go on, yeah. you're not going to look like Brooke Shields, <laughs> you know, you're not going to look mm-hmm. like Brooke Shields as Brooke Shields looked like 30 years ago or today. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. She's not going to look like herself 30 years yeah, ago. Either. Yeah. She doesn't look like yeah. she did 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. you know, and this is always where I have to throw in everybody's photoshopped. Those models don't look like those models yeah. either. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a whole piece on Medium that I did a few years ago where I broke down, like I took a, a, a heavily photoshopped photo of a model and I broke down all the ways you can tell it's photoshopped and, and what it, you know, and how it changes how she appears. But, but you just, uh, you know, you just, when you divest yourself of diet culture, when you start making different choices, uh, choices in how you think about bodies, choices in doing the research about whether diets actually work, choices about, you know, making, making the choice to learn about genetics and the social determinants of health and, and about mm-hmm. loving your existing body or at least accepting it and, and treating your body as a partner, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. All these things mean that you, you are probably going to grieve loss of privileges because if you accept that you're yeah. probably never going to look like Brooke Shields, you are also accepting that you're probably never going to be treated like, like Brooke Shields. And that is, yeah. I don't know why I have a weird Brooke Shields obsession today. But, but There was an article out a few days ago about how Barbara Walters like was super abusive to her in an interview. I wonder if that it popped probably up on did. your feed and, and, somewhere. You know, subconsciously that's how, now. That's, she's been on my mind all yeah. week. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's been on my mind all week. Yeah, so I can... But you know, there's, there's, there's grief involved because there's loss involved. Yeah. And it can feel yeah. like the loss of hope and the loss of, mm-hmm. of anticipation. Because when we start that new diet, that's you anticipate mm-hmm. the, the privileges of being thinner and, and, and what you think, mm-hmm. what you think of as healthier and so on. And so there, there's grief because there's loss and that's okay. You yeah. can choose to grieve that. When we talk about practices and choices, you know, you can choose to say this sucks and you can choose mm-hmm. to, uh, you can choose to allow yourself to be angry about that, to feel sad about that, to feel despair about yeah. that. Um, and, and if that is something that is really coming up for you right now, I do, I do advise working through that with a professional because these are big feelings. Yeah. These are big mm-hmm. emotions and, you know, and often to be a little salty for a second, um, often what happens is people, particularly people who happen to be on the internet at that time, like to turn around and take out those feelings on the nearest fat person because they're scared. Mm-hmm. And first off, please yes. don't do that. You know, fat folks aren't your free therapists. Um, and we're not, we're not punching bags. 
So please don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. but it is, you know, we don't, there's so much of, particularly in the body positivity realm, all this love your body, accept your body. But we don't talk about the darker side of that, that loving your body as it is means giving up diet culture. And that is giving up something that we grew up with, that all of our relatives are invested in, that all of our culture is invested in and giving that up. I mean, when I gave up diet culture, it meant that the next time my mother and my sister did together as a bonding exercise, I couldn't participate. Um, and it yeah. meant that we had some really mm-hmm. uncomfortable conversations around that. And that is, that mm-hmm. causes grief because that is, you are losing, um, and it can cause you to lose community. It can cause you to lose bonding experiences. It can cost you fitting in. And, you know, mm-hmm. and the thing is that I'm making it sound like loving your body really sucks, <laughs> but, but the thing is that that opens the way for you to be able to feel neutral about your body or to appreciate your body or treat it as a partner or even love it. Although you don't have to, there's no moral imperative, Mm -hmm. but not only does it open that up, but it opens you up to healthier communities, to healthier experiences. And and by healthy, I mean, healthy for your body and soul and spirit and mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when you're not punishing yourself and everyone around you, you can have real relationships with people that aren't based on just trashing your body in front of them and, and having them do the same. But also it's a yeah. big change and it's okay to grieve that, you know, and it's okay to mm. get mad, but remember that you have to turn that, you have to turn that outward onto the systems where it belongs. The fault is not yeah. your body. And I say that whether mm-hmm. your body functions the way you want it to or not, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but, but the, the, the things that make you feel bad about your body are systems. They're big and they're entrenched and they're scary and they're powerful mm-hmm. and profitable, mm-hmm. but the fault is not ever within your body. And so mm-hmm. as you start going through that process of, of getting rid of diet culture within yourself, um, it's really helpful if you can consistently make the choice to turn that anger and that grief outward. You know, the fact mm-hmm. that my body doesn't fit in an airplane seat is not my fault. Somebody chose to make that seat mm-hmm. in a way that didn't accommodate me. And so the problem was mm-hmm. with the person who designed that seat, not my body. Mm-hmm. And so, so again, mm-hmm. this embodiment practice and making these choices can also be about choosing to to externalize those feelings rather than turn them in on your body, because that will, that will rot you from the inside. Mm. Mm. This is reminding me of shadow work, the things that are repressed and suppressed, marginalized within us and how we internalize that as well, sitting in that same kind of space. And Um, that it feels like embodiment is often described, even like the theory of embodiment refers to it as positive embodiment, that it's Mm -hmm. always, even the language is one that leans towards, it's going to be a positive experience. It's going to be a warm experience. That's not my experience of embodiment. Uh, It's not my experience of partnership either to go back to what we were really saying at the beginning. Mm. It doesn't always feel like, oh, this is the most perfect thing that ever happened to me. Sometimes part of the connection and in fact, deepening of the connection is to go through something challenging together, including what we're going through with our bodies. I'm just really sitting with that from what you're saying. 
Mm. Um, I am a person who leans towards the positive because it makes me feel better in the moment, but it doesn't always make me feel better long-term. And part (laughs) of my ongoing embodiment journey is to lean into the parts that feel sticky and edgy and pokey and tough and kind of sit in that space um, of how can I find support here also? Like not changing that it's sticky because that just points me to the positive direction again. I don't really Mm. do anything. It's just pointing in another direction, Um, but really sitting in it. Yeah. And it's not always going to be like you just said, positive feelings. And, you know, and of course, you know, each of us as individuals get to process that in the way that makes sense for us. And for me, I talk a lot about anger um, because again, as a sweet Southern girl, I wasn't, you know, we didn't, (laughs) uh, Southern women, white women, again, I'm only speaking from my own experience here um, and the, the immediate culture surrounding me. We didn't talk about, we didn't talk about feeling angry. We didn't display feeling angry. Mm. Uh, A good Southern woman was never angry. (laughs) And, and, you know, that was something that I had to give up too, was that decorum, um, that, that Mm. graciousness, because first off, it wasn't a good fit for me because I'm a salty girl, it turns out. Um, (laughs) But, but also I, that was one of the things that I had to give up in order to um, become coherent with myself. I had to get in touch with my inner salt, salt shaker. And it, you know, <laughs> and that was not oh my gosh, I, love that. I had I love experienced that so until my thirties. And, and I just consistently mm. found myself getting mad. Um, mm. and, and when you are treating your body like a partner and you get mad at the way it's being treated, uh, for me, it was like getting mad on behalf of my body. Um, mm-hmm. if somebody's mean to my best friend, I don't turn to my best friend and say, well, why did you deserve that? <laughs> I turn to the person who's being totally. mean to yeah. them and say, how dare you? And so, yeah, so absolutely. I, I start for what for me was coherent. I'm t- starting to talk really fast because I'm just, I'm so passionate about this discovery of, of, you know, what is coherent for us? What is coherent for me turned out to be, how dare you treat my body? Like it's bad. Mm. How dare you treat my body like it is some evidence that I am a bad person? You know, like how mm-hmm. dare you treat my partner that way? Uh, you know, and right. and that fire and indignation, um, treating my body as a partner helped me keep from internalizing that. Um, because mm-hmm. if my body is my partner, that is just as valuable a presence as my husband or my best friend or my cat or Mm -hmm. whoever, you know, Um, my cat is sleeping here beside me. So she's, she's making her presence known. Uh, She's been snoring through about half of this episode. So uh, if you hear dainty little cat snores (laughs) in the background, you're welcome. (laughs) So cute. So cute. cute. but, But yeah, just this, you know, for me, it has been about the anger and for you, it might be about the grief or, or maybe some dawning delight in your body. It, it, may, mm. it might not be, mm. you know, it might not be um, all about the shadows. Um, but having that anger has burned away so much of the internalized mm. crap that I had. Mm. Not all of it, you know, it's a journey. We all, we're all going to be on it for the rest of our lives. But, but that anger is also what led me to start speaking out mm. um, because once I got really mad that I was being treated this way, I started to get mad that everybody else was being treated that way. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't just stay silent when it was so important to me 
for people to know they were being scammed. Mm. Mm. It's oh so, my gosh. it feels so much easier to advocate for myself. If I think of my body as my partner, like if somebody mistreats my husband or the people that I love, like I'm ready to set some shit on fire. So yeah. it really makes me feel really intentional about advocating for my body too. That's really powerful. Yeah. Well, it yeah, really and, is. And my, mm. my spouse is also, uh, he's a, a fat man. And, uh, you know, if I see him being, <laughs> um, if I see him go to the doctor and get treated badly, like, I, you know, well, if you want to see me get mad, <laughs> that's when I really get mad is when somebody I love gets treated poorly. But like, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm treating my body like a partner, it's it's essentially the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that I always choose to advocate for my body either. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a telehealth appointment earlier this week with a specialist who I only see every year or so and who was deeply invested in diet culture and who is deeply invested in blaming that particular health issue I have on my body size, despite all, uh, despite a complete lack of peer reviewed evidence linking those Mm. things. But, but you know what? Every time I have to see her, I smile and nod. Mm. We, we, we get the thing done and we, and we get it out of the way and then we don't have to see each other for another year because Mm. again, coming back to choices and survival, um, you know, and I am choosing in that moment, it's a 15 minute appointment. I'm getting what I need out of it. I'm going to smile and nod. You know, it is not my duty to, uh, you know, to cause, it's not my duty to take the hardest path possible. You yeah. know, I'm mm-hmm. also allowed to make choices that just are easy. Yeah. And of I think course. embodiment is acknowledging and recognizing and moving forward with the knowledge of what feels worth your emotional labor. Sometimes it just does not feel like it's worth it to go that extra mile. And that's okay. That's absolutely okay. And that can be embodied too. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you both something that's happening to me and this experience together and this time we've already had together. I was just like looking at both of you and just like basking in your beauty, the beauty (laughs) of what you're saying the beauty of how you were like looking, you know, like in zoom, how you like look at in weird spots. Cause you're trying to find yeah. each other. I was just like looking in the beauty of how you were, I could tell you were still finding something like mm. I'm just sitting in a really, a really interesting spot that feels very full in this mm. conversation with the both of you. Um, there's something really special here. That's what I have. The word for I have right now is beauty is sitting in this beautiful spot. And I'm actually really not leaning on beauty standards as my definition of beauty. It's like a feeling that I'm having right now. It's a shared experience. Um, it's just the word that I have for that. I was going, going to go with lovely, but that was not strong enough. So I'm going with beauty, right? And I can already see that it's being reflected now too. I'm glad I said it. Um, it's just really, really lovely to sit to sit with both of you in conversation, uh, in, in enjoying this conversation and sitting with this conversation, we've talked about the embodiment part of this podcast title, and I'm really sitting with the second part of that, the rest of us, um, in, um, a chance for us to get to know you and also your perspective. I'd love to ask some questions. Uh, first, how do you currently identify and what are your pronouns? I use she, her pronouns, and I am a cisgender white woman. Uh, I identify as uh, large fat or super fat, kind of depending on the situation, I'm right on the edge. And if you haven't heard those words before, 
Um, in the fat positive community, we've kind of come up with um, a set of heavily debated <laughs> uh, sort of categories for body size that make it a little easier to talk about the types of marginalization we might experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, someone who is average size or maybe small fat um, experiences a lot less um, systemic oppression than someone who is super fat or infinite fat. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, if you Google, you will find articles that that sort of go through these categories and they are very much, like I said, debated and controversial within the, 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 the sphere of people who talk about this sort of thing, but it's a very general guide. Um, I live outside Seattle, Washington, and I have, um, I am autistic and I have some chronic illnesses. Um, I also live with an anxiety disorder, um, but I also have the privileges of beyond being white. Um, I have a financial safety net and, uh, and my husband has a traditional day job and helps support us. Uh, He's a primary supporter. So I do have that privilege as well. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. And I was curious about what the phrase, the rest of us means to you and how do you identify within the rest of us and what you described? The the rest of us, I feel like intuitively, um, I just sort of, I really resonated with that term because Mm -hmm because it feels like there's a very, very small population with some notable exceptions, but a very small population of people, specific people and types of bodies that are represented in, in particularly in mainstream media, um, but even on Instagram and on in, in magazines and advertisements, on billboards, in perfume ads, and, and you know, or say um, a Nike ad. Think about a Nike ad and think about the bodies that would be represented there. Uh, the rest of us is everybody else. Um, everyone who is not uh, in the type of body or the color of body or the level of able-bodiedness that is represented. Uh, and so so the rest of us is really most of us. <laughs> mm. um, but it mm. is the types of people who get represented and the types of people who don't. Mm, isn't and, that and where I live within that? I mean, basically comes back to my own, you know, privileges and marginalizations. Mm. Thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for sharing your identities in context, privileged and marginalized as a way to get to know you and also how you identify, right? What resonates with you and where you are. That's appreciated. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You have such a gift for making concepts and perspectives feel accessible, especially in shifting the framing of the experience of being in a fat body. What would you define as liberation? Uh, What about body liberation or fat liberation? How do these language distinctions show up in your photography work? Oh, I feel like this is the biggest question. Well, first off, to start off, I'm actually going to, to read a definition of body liberation because uh, I don't think I could say it any better myself. And we'll put the source in in the show notes. Uh, But body liberation is the freedom from social and political systems of oppression that designates certain bodies as more worthy, healthy, and desirable than others. Mm. So it's really about, whereas something like body positivity or body love is about the individual and and it's a little bit bootstrappy. You know, mm. you just, it, it is something that you are doing to yourself. Body liberation is about the systems. Um, and, and body liberation is what gives us the space to then 
you know, influence our feelings about our personal bodies when when we are by by working on ending the systems that make us feel a certain way about our bodies, it's going to be way easier to feel good about our bodies. And so it's really about those systems. And fat liberation, um, to me, is very similar, but it really is, uh, to use sort of a social justice term, centering fat people in uh, in body liberation, um, because every human who has a body, which is all of us, um, is subject to uh, the experiences of feeling certain ways about our bodies, but not all bodies are treated the same. Uh, so it's very important that uh, fat and particularly fat bodies of color are centered in this work uh, because they are the most oppressed for their body size. Mm. And, and, and when we when we look at that in relation to photography, it gets so complicated uh, because when we talk about systems of oppression, those are systems of power. And so I do a lot of thinking about systems of power um, and how I am uh, potentially representing or perpetuating those as a photographer. Uh, because when you come work with me, um, you know, I, I do boudoir portrait and small business photography. And particularly with boudoir photography, which is very vulnerable, mm -hmm. you might be laying there naked on a bed and I'm standing over you fully clothed with a camera. That yeah. is 100% a power differential. Yes. Um, and I have, I have a frightening amount of power in that situation. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, um, like your physical safety. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, if you feel physically unsafe with a photographer, you, you need to get dressed and get out of there because that is not okay. But the way that I think about your body, the way that I choose to portray your body, and the way that I talk and even my body language around your body, when you are being that vulnerable, I have a tremendous amount of power to build you up or tear you down, probably without meaning to. And so I have to be so intentional. And I am making, in addition to, when you're a photographer, you're making hundreds of micro choices about lighting mm -hmm. and posture and you know pose focus depth of field all these things but i'm also making many many choices in that moment during a session with how i am working with you mm. um and it is very it is very obvious <laughs> um in that situation where there's such a differential in power you can tell when somebody isn't comfortable with your body and so I had, when I became a photographer, I had to do my own work really fast <laughs> um, because I can't sit there for, for two hours and look at your body and tell you genuinely that your body is amazing if I don't feel that way about my own, if I don't feel that way about yours, because it's going to be really obvious that I'm not telling you the truth. And so, um, so Photography is so, um, I call it both prescriptive and descriptive. Uh, it's prescriptive in that uh, we as photographers uh, control how the world sees bodies. We, we are the ones mm -hmm. who can perpetuate or tear down systems of oppression um, visually. Uh, but it's also descriptive in that uh, we also describe uh, we also depict 
That's the word I'm looking for. We also depict cultural standards as they are right now. Um, mm-hmm. Think about glamour shots. Mm-hmm. And you laughed, didn't you? Because <laughs> yeah. I have them. <laughs> right, but, but like everybody laughs because our, our image standards have changed so much just since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at, if you look at current boudoir sessions, some of the poses are the same because mm. there are only so many ways that you can twist around human bodies. I mean, a body is a body, <laughs> but, but that shows you how powerful image standards are that yeah. glamour shots were considered, you know, taken pretty seriously mm. and, you know, considered to be beautiful and glamorous in 1985 and in 2021, they're laughable, you mm. know, and, and 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 they're not they're sort of considered cheesy <laughs> and so so and it was the highlight of my sophomore year of high school it was the highlight <laughs> right yeah, yeah. and I wore and no. the hair around the rest of the day I was so proud <laughs> <laughs> I, I always tell people to like plan a nice plan a nice dinner or like a night out after their session if they've got their like their their big hair makeup yeah. on yeah, I had boudoir pictures on and I've never looked that hot in my entire life. I like even hotter than my wedding. I could not <laughs> handle how cute I was. Like it was ridiculous. I took so many selfies. <laughs> yeah. 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 And people people always t- want to take selfies and they'll ask me, like, is that okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I have a whole different, this is a different, <laughs> different conversation, but I have a whole, I have a whole thing I like to talk about about taking the power back into our own hands with self-portraiture too, with selfies. Ooh, okay. Um, because when you're <laughs> holding that phone or that camera and you're depicting yourself, you have that power. Yeah. And so when you come into a photo session, you're giving me a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I have to be so intentional with how I use that. And so, but it's also really complicated. Mm. It, and I just want to ramble for the next two hours about this because there are so many things coming into play. Um, when you think about body liberation and photography, because my job is to depict you as you are right now, rather than like an idealized version of yourself. Mm. If you Mm -hmm. want that, go work with somebody else. But, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, if you are not ready to see yourself with complete honesty, it may be very difficult for you to look at those photos afterward. Mm -hmm. And people do use them as a type of exposure therapy. Mm. Um, so people will use it as a body image tool. Um, but, and some people, and now some people come in and they are ready for it, but like Mm. most of the people who come work with me are somewhere in the middle, you know, that they're, they're willing to show up for it, Mm -hmm. but they may need a little bit of support to really feel, Mm. um, ready to see themselves. And, Mm. and so a lot of what I do is coaching, honestly, Mm -hmm. about half our sessions Mm -hmm. are, are, you know, coaching Mm -hmm. and making sure that you're comfortable, but But so the liberation part is that I have spent a lot of time picking apart um, why am I posing people in this particular way? Is that a way that that shores up beauty standards and perpetuates them or a way that tears them down? Mm -hmm. And if it's a way that that continues to perpetuate beauty standards, am I doing that intentionally? Because also, if I photograph you too far out of your comfort comfort zone, you may not be able to look at those photos. Mm. And so uh, it's my job to find the compromises, to Mm. figure out exactly where that person is at in their journey and photograph them in a way that maybe pushes them towards liberation for themselves, but also isn't so raw 
that they that they can't interact with those images. Mm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. It does. it does. Yeah. So so am I am I always like um a paragon of body liberation perfe- perfection in my work? No, but that's not my my job is to help people get there. Mm. You know, as you're talking about power, it's like and it being descriptive and prescriptive, which I've never thought about. That is so powerful. It's like with great power comes great responsibility. And I think you're doing such important work to get with your stock photos, with your boudoir photography, with everything you do, with getting these bodies that clearly exist, like everywhere out into the forefront or out into the universe. So people know that there are different beauty standards and not even, I don't even want to say beauty standards because I I don't want to say that you're creating a different beauty standard. You're creating more of a I don't even want to say body norm, just yeah, validity, universality, a validity. Yes. Yeah. Like it's just a more universal look at this is what bodies are and bodies are beautiful. All bodies mm. are worthy bodies. You know, like, I think mm. that's really powerful, really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Every person who, who comes and works with me is one more person who has been seen as valid. Every person Absolutely. who, who sees one of my stock photos used in the world and says, Oh my God, that looks like me. I've never mm-hmm. seen that before. And mm-hmm. used in a in a, a respectful yes. way, mm-hmm. you know, where that mm-hmm. re- body is represented as a good body. Mm-hmm. Um, right. as opposed to like the scary news photos of like the mm-hmm. epidemic. That mm-hmm. that's headless headless bodies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one more person who has been has been seen as valid and now can see themselves as valid. And mm. that is literally how we change the world one person at a time. It mm-hmm. is. And I'm hearing that they get to be part of the default, right? We are talking about ideals and norms and standards, and this really mm-hmm. trickles That's- down from the most powerful place sort of dynamic. But what I'm hearing in the validity as a baseline is that each of us can be represented like, and I'm thinking about these photos, like representing ourselves in our own photographs, that that's actually a rebellious act is pretty incredible for my mind right now. Yeah. Um, and I really get what you're saying. Um, the glamour shots, high school graduation photos. Um, I forgot what the ones were that they did in Walmart and places like that, but they were like, it was like one person above, they weren't glamour shots, but it was like heads floating in things. There was this other oh, yeah. sort of element that all of it is not looking like ourselves and mm-hmm. really the, the now moment, this kind of collective time that we're in and something I actually think of, even though it, I, I am not trying to minimize the really hard and awful aspects of the pandemic and people who are the opposite of surviving right now, yeah. mm-hmm. um, still sitting in a place of connectedness in a new way, almost because we're forced to, to survive mm-hmm. together. We have to learn mm-hmm. together and really quickly that what I'm getting is a new default can emerge like that. It's anything we want or it's however we feel right now or whatever is yeah. that authentic related truth, which feels, it feels really interesting. Like, you know, default, we think of often like a button, like we press a default button and everything goes back to default. That's what I think of when it comes from the ideals norms place. Mm. And when we're talking about default as like who you are and how you are, what you are, what you are not, what you have to grieve, all of these things, this like complex and beautiful web that we've been describing, um, that default is like, I don't know, let me pause and explore. It needs a whole different, like, it's not this quick thing. It's a, it's a real exploration. 
Um, it's reminding me of spaciousness, which I've, I've been getting this whole conversation, but the way you were describing them, like, wow, what space to be able to get and then to see that captured in an image that mm. you can now take that space with you, reflect and look at it is just very interesting mm. and really beautiful. I was hearing everyone's beautiful. Just like I always hear everyone's weird. People are like, that's so weird. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's weird. We're all different. Mm-hmm. So everything's mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything's, everything's okay is also something I think I was sitting with in what you're saying. My job as a photographer is to see you as beautiful and worthy of being captured. Um, and that is, you know, part of the joy of my work, mm-hmm. but, but there's, I also really agree with, there's a new movement coming up that, that is embracing ugliness that mm-hmm. you don't have to be, you don't mm-hmm. have to think of yourself as beautiful. Uh, and you don't have to be beautiful to be worthy. So, I mean, to be really blunt, my job isn't to make you look beautiful in your photos, um, although people often do, but, and and my job isn't to convince you that you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you are, because I think bodies are cool. Mm-hmm. Um, bodies are amazing, but... Uh, you know, all the stories that live on our skin, like that scar, mm. is, that scar is beautiful. That scar, the scar has a story, mm. but, but I don't have to convince you of that. And it's not my job to convince you of that. My job is just to record what's there. Mm. And, and if that, it, it gives you the ability to access it, if it is presented in a little more of a traditional format, um, boudoir is very much invested in that because boudoir has very scripted poses and things. And, and if, if that makes it easier for you to access your own body, you know, awesome, we're going to do that. But my job isn't really to convince you that you're beautiful, even though I think you are. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's to make you, to give you that space. I love that. To give you that, that spaciousness, to give you that, that time and place when you are entirely valid and give you the ability to take that with you. Mm. So why aren't you the photographer? Because that was a perfect summer region. <laughs> well, love it. I need to hire you for my marketing. There you go. Uh, feel free to use it. And, and also balls deep, you know, whatever you need. Sorry, Siobhan. Okay. Oh, I wholeheartedly. I, I know that she can handle me digging a joke into the ground. You know, I just keep yeah. digging and digging. Um, the thank you and I have felt this entire description that I would like I'm like how do I get Lindley to photograph me how am I going to make this happen in my future is something that I'm I'm sitting with this and I'm serious I'm going to figure it out I'm going to figure it out okay are you going to get up that way (laughs) I have I have never been to the Pacific Northwest so it's already it's already rolling in yeah I know I know my sister lives in Alaska my partner and I would like to drive up the entire west coast there so it's going to happen it's happening that sounds lovely so I'm I'm happy to give you itineraries (laughs) (laughs) I oh there go my hands again um I (laughs) I oh my gosh yes Okay. Oh, this is good. (laughs) So today in this incredible, far-reaching, ever-present, beautiful conversation, we've talked a lot about big and small picture perspectives, things, et cetera, in this conversation. Lindley, what do you think we can all do to make a difference with what we've learned today? Well, we've already talked so much about, about intention and choices and practices, Um, that it really, we've really led into this question beautifully because 
the awareness is the awareness and the choices that we are making individually um, are some of the most powerful things that we can do. Uh, because the more that we are aware of why we feel the way we do about our bodies, why we feel the way we do about other people's bodies, um, and and the systems and and who is profiting and who is getting power from us thinking that way, the more we can take the profit and the power out of those systems. Uh, if we all stopped buying diet foods and diet books and diet products tomorrow, the diet industry would disappear because it wouldn't there wouldn't be any profit in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the diet industry isn't the only one that drives these systems, but, but that's, that would be a really easy one to destroy. Mm. We would just, we just have to stop giving them money. Mm. Um, and yes, it's not, it, 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 I realize it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. However, um, just being aware, uh, the next time that you see a fat person, let's say a very, very fat person, and you have a visceral reaction why are you having that reaction? Um, and I'm not saying that you need to be, uh, I don't want to bring shame into this uh, because when we are ashamed, thanks Brene Brown, when we're ashamed, we cannot make change because mm-hmm. we, we sink our energy into being ashamed rather than making mm-hmm. different choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but being aware of that reaction and then being aware of why we have that reaction. That way, the next time we can choose to feel differently mm. when we start being aware, when we, when we are aware of why we have conversations in, in the office break room about, oh, I'm so bad. I can only have a third of that donut. Oh no, I can only have a quarter because I was so bad this week. Once we're aware of those conversations, we can start being aware of why we have them. And then we can start choosing mm. differently. Uh, And so, and and we can choose where to start integrating those changes into our lives in a way that, you know, in the same way that, um, that, you know, I grew up in a Christian background and we would read in the Bible about all these people who, you know, give up everything and follow me, um, is this very common theme, Mm -hmm. um, but that is not an expectation in, uh, you know, I'm not in a Christian community these days, but, but growing up, that certainly was not an expectation that we put on each other. Like, you know, we all had houses and cars. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, the, and the point of this is that no one is expected, you know, to become an anti-diet warrior overnight. <laughs> mm. um, and, and again, because you get to make the choices that resonate for you in your life, um, just being aware of what choices you're making lets you change just one thing. Maybe you don't trash talk your body. Maybe you don't do body checking in front of the mirror next week. Maybe you have the freaking candy bar um, and just and don't let it have power over you because you just eat it and then then you're done rather than agonizing. Mm. Just being aware means that you can then make the choices that feel more coherent to you to come back to our our theme of this whole episode. Um, And that's, it's, it's not a simple thing to do. Um, And it may take a while of just trying to be aware. Um, I know that sometimes I'll make choices in my life or have certain feelings about things. And then three hours later, I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's like that, that after, you know, or or I, I will get very up in my anxiety about something and then realize, oh, that there was no need to be anxious about that. (laughs) So, so this is not, it's, 
it's a practice, just like we talked about. This is not something you're going to be good at to start. And that's okay. It is a practice, a series of choices. And that is the most powerful thing you can do. Um, Because like, I personally have no influence over, insert the latest diet company trend here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I do have influence over whether I uh, whether I talk to my friends in, in terms that are negative about my body or theirs, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the, the choices that we all make influence the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awareness <laughs> without shame. I love yes. That. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the reminder that shame, whether it's from us or bias and stigma pointed at us from other people gets in the way and becomes the mm-hmm. focus Mm -hmm. Um, and how can we find spaces with that? I was hearing like, how can we find any ease in this moment, whether it's pointed from outside or even from within us, Mm -hmm. um, realization, it's like almost multi-layered, like, um, realizing that realizing it's okay is what might feel easeful. It's not just the realizing it, but it's really sitting in it and letting it be there. Yeah. Yeah. If that made any sense outside of my head. It did. Okay, it absolutely good. Did. <laughs> I'm like, I can see the layers, but I don't know if it makes sense. Okay. No, it definitely does. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, as we finish up this episode today, what would you like everyone listening to know about what you're up to and how they can find you? And additionally, what direction do you see your career and or work taking in the future? Well, this is a pretty exciting time to to answer the last thing first. It's a pretty exciting time because uh, as I mentioned earlier, did I mention earlier? This is a really exciting time for me to answer the last question first, because I'm about to reopen for client photography sessions post pandemic uh, and and figure out a way to do that, you know, safely for everyone. And, uh, but that is the first time in two years that I've consistently gotten to photograph people. Uh, And so I'm hoping that that what life looks like for me in the next you know two or three years is just getting in all the folks who have wanted to come and haven't been able to. Uh, so that's just it's super exciting and I cannot yeah. wait. I've just I've been jonesing for it. Yes. Uh, and so mm-hmm. it so has my wait list, which makes me really happy. Yes. Um, but but <laughs> I have my fingers in a lot of different pies overall. Um, I do the client photography sessions that we've talked about. Uh, I also do stock photography. Um, and, and if you haven't picked that up from the episode, that is uh, the photographs that people use in their marketing and, and magazines and advertisements and social media and billboards. Um, I do health at every size consulting and, and content creation uh, and some marketing coaching. I have the Body Love Shop, which is a curated collection of body positive and fat positive artwork and products. Love and uh, and I am sure I have things that I'm forgetting. Uh, but the best way, uh, you can find all my work at bodyliberationphotos.com. Uh, but the best way to sort of get into my world and, and hear from me regularly is my newsletter, which is called The Body Liberation Guide. Uh, it comes out every Monday, and, and I'm so proud of it. It has, um, every issue has news and resources for body liberation and health at every size. Uh, it has some kind of meaningful letter from me on body liberation, um, and it also has, you know, I'm a, I have a business, so it also has advertisements for my newest products and, and services and that sort of thing. Um, and every issue has a resource, a set of resources on a particular topic. Uh, and that can be anywhere from LGBT plus safe sex resources to uh, to dealing with 
uh, fat phobic relatives at the holidays to to anything you know anything related to body liberation. So uh, so I'm really proud of it. And you can sign up for it at bit.ly. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash body liberation guide. And it and everything else is all at bodyliberationphotos.com. Yeah. Yay. And can I plug your Patreon? Because I love your Patreon. Um, Really thoughtful. Um, I love when you share things on there. I know it's really important to you when you do. It's a, it's really incredible to read what you write on there. Um, and you get a discount for the stock photos if you're a member Ooh. of your, um, which I haven't used yet. Thank you for reminding me. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not there for the discount anyway, but I'm just like, oh, I actually need some stock photos. So thank you for the reminder. <laughs> nice. Um, and it's just lovely to be able to follow you each and every way that we can, because you're awesome. You're such a multifaceted person. I love yes. all of these ways that we can mm-hmm. engage with all the ways in which you're sharing things because you have yes. such a unique way of sharing. It's so awesome. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's Thank you. Really it's, it's mostly just that I have a really short attention span. <laughs> it's lovely. So, so, so it is such a joy to be able to do my work in a way that lets me sort of jump from thing to thing to thing mm. to topic to topic. Uh, but yeah, That's I also, awesome. I also, speaking of plugging the Patreon, uh, I just added a discord community chat to it. <gasps> That's right. Um, if you, if you've never used discord, um, there is on my YouTube, uh, there is actually a one oh one level guide on how to use discord. Um, it's, oh. it's, it's kind of like Facebook and kind of not, but it is a closed community space. Uh, it is open to people of all body sizes. Uh, and, and everyone is welcome, but it is a fat centric space, which means that we, again, we center people in, in fat bodies in their experiences and opinions. Um, mm, but nice. it is, it is, we have almost 60 people and it's thriving and, and it's just something I'm currently really, really enjoying. Nice. Uh, this is, this has been amazing. Like, I feel like we could talk even longer than we've been talking. Like I was just gone for the rest of the day. This has just been wonderful and it's such a gift to have opened season two with you as your first interviewee and it just flowed so well like I just love hearing what you have to say about anything and everything so this yes is thank you so much yeah, thank you so much for having me it's been just a wonderful experience talking with both of you <sighs> okay I don't want it to end Same. I don't want it to end but thank you yes you. <laughs> okay ditto thank Bye. you Thank you for listening to season two of the embodiment for the rest of us podcast episodes will be published every two weeks ish because let's be real here, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com and follow us on social media on both Twitter at embodiment us and on Instagram at embodiment for the rest of us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation.